Hey, pray with me real quick before we jump into the Word. God, we thank you for um, the steadfastness of who you are, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, Father, we pray in this time that uh, you would speak to us from your Word, that you would change us and shape us and call us to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible or a smartphone, please find Mark chapter 14. I'll have it on the screen for you if you're struggling, but I do encourage you to find it on your own. If you've got a Bible and you're trying to figure out how to use it for the first time, it's like two-thirds of the way through. Mark 14, I'm going to read from 32, verse 32 to 52. says, Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. That is, Jesus. And Jesus said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little farther, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba. Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then Jesus came and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Sounds like my little kids. He came to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And again, he came and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. And then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived, and with him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said. He's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. And so when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they took hold of him and arrested him. One of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you, teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him. But he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Lots going on in this story, this part of Jesus' story as he moves to the cross. We've been following that journey to the cross, and we're going to continue to do so in this series that we're calling I Have Decided. And as we wrestle today with this passage, the question that we want to kind of wrestle down is, Haven't I grown to a point where I don't need others to help me walk with Christ? Like, I'm good, right, God? I'm okay. I'm where I need to be. So we're going to wrestle with that as we kind of go through today and and, uh, see what this passage teaches us about that 
assumption. Because if you're like me, I'm going to guess that there's these times where uh, we're, we're doing things, but we kind of get stuck in our own heads and in our own lives, and we're running full force, and we think we're running for the right reasons, and we're, we think that we're pursuing Christ for the right reasons, we think we're doing the right things, and when we turn around, we feel a lot like this guy at the end of this story who's somewhere in the Garden of Gethsemane, naked, all alone. I, uh, I had the uh, honor of coaching T-ball uh, this year. Uh, you guys have heard me probably tell some of those stories. And uh, I'll never forget one day at practice, isn't it interesting how you say you're coaching T-ball because it's all about the kids, right? It's like, I just, it's all about being with my, with my boy or girl, right? Like, but it's all about them. And then, you know, like 30 minutes into practice, like, uh, maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm, I'm super weird and driven. But, but I'm like, these kids got to get better. We don't keep score, but we got to win some games, guys. You know, and so we're like trying to get ready for t-ball games at practice, and we're halfway through practice, and I have, I'm not happy with how practice is going. So I tell everybody to get a break, go get some water, and, um, you know, like a minute into that, I'm totally ready to get back to work. And so I'm walking out to the field. I get out to the pitcher's mound. I was like, all right, guys, let's go. And I turn around, and every single kid is still sitting with, their mom or their dad, like, drinking water, sweating. And it was one of those moments where you realize, might have been a little much. T-ball totally became about me there for, you know, whatever that was, the 30 minutes of practice. Like, I was totally driving these kids, uh, and, and they just wanted to drink water. And so I tell that story because I think sometimes, sometimes uh, we, can have a, huh, we can have the best of intentions I think sometimes we can think that we have decided to follow Jesus. We think we're doing this Jesus thing the right way. But in reality, we're, we're maybe kind of like I was. Like we're, We've been driving towards this one thing that really has a ton of selfish motive behind it. It's really about us more than it is about what Jesus has done for us. Maybe I'm the only one that's there. But when we're following Christ with selfish motivations, we will run away with nothing left but ourself. We'll be like this guy who doesn't have a name that's, I don't know, maybe he's still there, probably not, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane with no clothes on, completely alone, completely ashamed. Over, uh, you know, the years in, in ministering to people, I can give you some examples of, of how this plays out. You know, someone will, uh, I, I remember the time that this family came to the church. They were so excited to be a part of everything. I was the youth minister at the time, and they came in, and, you know, they wanted to meet me, and we had this great conversation, and then the dad looked at me. He's like, now, there's just one thing. We're here because you have a youth band, and I, my daughter is going to sing in the youth band. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, this is going to be bad, <laughs> right? They're not here for Jesus. They're here so that their daughter can sing in the youth band. He he exposed his motives. Uh, maybe a close runner-up is the number of times that people who I've never met, people whose names I never know, call me, and they're like, you're a preacher, right? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, can you marry us, like, next week? <laughs> I'm like, hi, my name's Blake. What's your name again? Right? You're about to enter into an everlasting covenant, like man and wife. And Okay, that's all right. That's, you know, so those are my favorites. And I'm like, I know why you're here, right? You're here just to get a preacher to marry you. 
I had another, um, uh, I'm, I'm anxious because I'm going to press some buttons here, all right? Um, <laughs> I won't ever forget the day that I was sitting here at Christ Community and the phone rang and I answered the phone and a lady was on the other end of the line. She said, hi. She said, are you the pastor? It's always a little scary when that's the first question. I said, yeah, I am. I said, my name's Blake. She said, okay, good. Well, I've got a question for you. I said, okay. And she said, my wife and I want to come to your church on Sunday. But before we come to your church on Sunday, we want to know if you're going to baptize me. I said, like Sunday? Like you'll be here the first time and then you're going to get baptized on Sunday? Yeah. I said, did I? My name is Blake. What was your name again? She said, that doesn't matter. Answer my question. I thought, oh, man. Oh, man. And I tell those stories, and, and maybe none of those stories are you. Uh, maybe your motives are different. Maybe your motives aren't even seen. But for so many of us, we're, we're pursuing Christ, so we think. But we're doing it out of motives and, and, and out of <laughs> inspirations that are completely selfish. We want to get something out of this relationship with Christ. We want to get something out of our time at church. And for many of us, we've already formed in our minds what it is that we want to get out of it. And there's a great irony in that because in doing that, we're saying that we, in our limited sinful nature, know what we need for ourselves better than what the God who is limitless and can overcome all things knows that we need. So how can we know our motives for pursuing Christ? I think about this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, and here you have 12 guys, and apparently a few more who are hanging out on the fringes, and they're following Christ, right? Especially these 12. They've been walking and journeying with Christ for three years, three plus years. They, they like, if anybody is going to know how to follow Christ, if anybody's going to know what it is to, to keep going with Him, it's these guys. They think that, that they are good, that they would never leave Him. We saw last week, right? Peter's like, uh-uh, not me, I ain't. I'm, nope, I'm here with you, Jesus. And yet, when it really comes right down to it, their motives are just pff, fleshed wide open. Why are you really here? What happens when we ask that question of ourselves? It's hard to know sometimes even our own motives. Are we pursuing Jesus to get what we want? Are we pursuing Jesus to maybe appease someone else? Is it simply to avoid hell? Is it to get to a point where we are okay with who we are or where we are in life? Right? I think going to church will make me a better person. That, that's good enough for me. Even contentment can be a selfish pursuit. And if your pursuit of Christ doesn't demand that others be present, then your pursuit is selfish. You cannot be in pursuit of Christ by yourself. It doesn't work that way. But we continue to tell ourselves that I can have faith and not get mixed up in this church thing. I can believe that Jesus died for me and not get caught up in the messiness 
of the church. Because the question that we're really asking in all that is, haven't I grown to a point where I don't need others to help me with my walk with Christ? This is between me and God. It's an A-B conversation. See your way out. These disciples, they're no longer newbies at this point, right? They had been with him. And if anybody was ready to walk on their own, it was them. But I want us to see what happens to them. I want us to see the pattern of how they move from this place where in just, you know, just a, a sh- probably hours ago, Peter is saying, uh-uh, not me, God, I will not leave, to the point where they're all running through the Garden of Gethsemane to try and get away from Christ as he is taken in, uh, under arrest. So look back, if you still got your Bible open, at verse 37. Verse 37 is, is kind of this first step into this weakness, we might say, right? And so it says Jesus came and he found them sleeping, right? He'd given them a simple command. Just stay away, like stay here, just stay here. That's all I need you to do. This is going to sound oddly like parenting, right, as we walk through this. It's like you tell your kids, just stay here. I don't need you to do anything. Like, just stay here. And then... Jesus came and he found them sleeping. He said to, to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour, right? Our, our uh, pursuit of Christ often gets sidelined first at the very fact that we're just weak. We're just weak. Like, we can't do the simple things. We can't do the simple things. And so there's a weakness there, right, that, that opens all this up. He asked them to stay awake. They can't stay awake. Then you go to verse 40. Verse 40 says, again, right? He gives them a second chance. Again, he came and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. If I'm honest, this is one that I hear like all the time whenever I engage with people in our life and in our world. It's like, I'm just exhausted, right? The stress of a situation, whatever your story and situation is, it's just exhausted me. It's causing us to to sleep or maybe be depressed, right? Like, exhaustion does that to us, too. And we're unable to execute the simplest of commands. In this case, Jesus is like, listen, just stay here, watch, pray. That's all I need. Like, really simple. Maybe in your life, it's like, listen, what I need you to do is just, like, be faithful. Just love your kids, love your husband, love your wife, whatever. Like, love your spouse. Like, just be faithful. And we're like, I can't do it. I'm so tired. Isn't it good to see that the disciples had the same problems that we did? They were weak. They were exhausted. Verse 47, this is where it really begins to flesh itself out. One of those, we know from the other Gospels, it was Peter who stood by, drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. You know, as we progress in this walking away from Christ, we move from our weakness to exhaustion. And when we're tired, we begin to attack. And we begin to lash out. And when we do that, sometimes it happens to the people that we love the most, right? Or sometimes we do it, and we do it maybe at the enemy, but it's not even right that we would do it at the enemy because in this moment, like all opportunity to to show them the love of Christ is gone. It's not that we should never stand up for ourselves, but but this is coming out of a place of fear. Peter is saying, man, i got to prove to Jesus that I'm with him. In my heart, I'm a little afraid that I'm, I might be trying to get out of here. Weakness, exhaustion, attacking. 
And then, finally, running. Verse 50. Then they all deserted him and ran away. When we've gone through all of these things, we end up deserting what or who we were pursuing. And when we desert something or someone, we have already decided. We have already decided. You know, when we are unable to obey the simplest of commands, go make disciples. Spend time with the Lord. Connect with your church family. When we struggle with the simplest of commands, we are in the pit of our personal sin. Maybe it's just our weakness that we're always battling. Maybe it's been a hard season and we're exhausted. Maybe that exhaustion has started to manifest itself and lashing out against other people. Or maybe we're just in full-on run mode. And we're like, I'm not sure that what I said yes to, when I said yes to Jesus, is what I actually want to be saying yes to. So I'm just going to get on out of here. I think many of us find ourselves in, in one of these places pretty much all the time because we are sinners. We are no different than these 12 guys that have walked with Jesus and now find themselves in the garden as Jesus is being arrested. But what I love about this passage isn't the fact that it shows us how we're weak. What I love about this passage is that it shows us that no matter where we are in this process, Jesus is always running after us. He's always calling us back for more and two more. Check this out. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. This is a hard moment for him too, right? Incredibly, incredibly difficult. Remain here and stay awake, right? Like, I want you guys to be a part of this. Stay here with me. Stay awake. Stay in the game, right? Like, I, I, I'm, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard. This is going to change the world. I want you to be here with me. Remain here. Stay awake. And what do they do? They fall asleep, right? They fail. They're weak. They're exhausted. But he doesn't give up. So on the second time, verse 38, right, they fail again. And he's like, stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? He, he acknowledges it. Look, I, I, I get it. You guys are weak. You're human. This is like, it's a real thing. I'm battling the same thing. I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm grieved. I'm falling on my face in prayer. Like, this is tough. I owe. Stay awake. Pray. I want to call you in. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing, guys. And they fail again. And they fall asleep again. Verse 42. Jesus is a little frustrated, maybe. I don't know how he's feeling. I can't guess. But instead of saying, you know what? Forget you guys. They're coming, and they're going to take me away. Just whatever. He says, get up. Let's go. Get up. Let's go. I'm going to call you back into more. I, like, I know that you're trying to run away from me right now. I know that you're scared to death. I know that you don't know what you're saying yes to. I know that this is going to be hard, but I want you with me. Get up. Let's go. Let's go and face this difficulty together. You see, Jesus' grace to us is that he doesn't give up on us. Whatever your story is, no matter how far you've ran from Jesus today in this moment, 
No matter if you're in a season where you're walking in and you're, you're fighting with your spouse all the way up until you get to the door. It does not matter where you are. Jesus' grace to us is that he doesn't give up on us. Even as we continue to crack under pressure and run away, he keeps calling us back in. He won't leave us where we are. That is an incredible love. It's a love that we don't see in this world. You know, there is no such thing as a stagnant follower of Christ. It's an impossibility. We're either with him or we're running away from him. And because he knows that about us, in his grace, he continually pursues us. And he pursues us by calling us both to, to simple, ongoing steps and also to greater next steps that are new and uncharted adventures. And we're going to talk about those in just a little bit. But we have to make sure and not like run past the idea that this isn't easy for Jesus. He's experiencing the same stress that you and I would. Right? He was 100% human and 100% God. And because of that, his stress levels were likely higher than what ours will ever be. He was deeply distressed, it says, and troubled. He was deeply grieved to the point of death. He wanted to die in his flesh. He fell to the ground in misery and exhaustion. This life was too much. And yet, because he was God, he was able to persevere, to prevail. Jesus runs after you, not because it's easy, but because he is not willing to let you go. So whatever has been said to you or about you, whatever difficulty you find yourself in today, Jesus loves you through that, even though it's not easy. But he is not willing to let you go. <clears throat> Some of you may have heard me tell the story of a, a couple from my hometown. They were leaders in the church, great Christian people, married for 20-some years. And then it was uncovered that the husband was having an affair. It's not, it doesn't usually end well when that happens. And I'll never forget uh, when I was hearing this story for the first time, the response of the wife, a very godly woman, a woman who discipled me in some ways. And when the husband finally came and, and it all like came out in the head and they're having this conversation, he was repentant. He's like, I am sorry. I, I messed up. I did the wrong thing. I can't speak for all ladies. I can't speak for anybody, right? But I'm not sure I would want to take my spouse back. <laughs> How am I, I don't know how to know that. Like, I don't even want to think about that. But, but this lady, she looked at him and she said, you know what? I'll take you back. But you are going to love me the right way. You are going to date me. You're going to get to know me again. And you are going to walk together with me as we learn to love one another. I've always been inspired by that story. And I've been inspired by that story because... That was not just a, a haphazard, in-the-moment decision that she made. She had to think about that and, and, and process that and decide in her mind that I'm going to, to remain, and I'm going to remain by doing things the right way. I'm like, we're going we're gonna to do this together. I think about this story of the Garden of Gethsemane. 
these guys, they had already decided. They had already decided when the soldiers came what they were going to do. And the same is true for you too. You have decided. You're either going to remain with Christ or you're looking to run. You're either running from Christ because you pursued him for some selfish reason or you're remaining with him because you recognize that he loves you enough to keep chasing you. But the beauty of it is, is that when we have Christ in our lives, when he is living in us, in Christ, you can remain instead of run. Because in our flesh, we will run one out of one times. That's all the time. Because we are weak, because life is exhausting, because when we're giving in to that exhaustion, we attack people and, and we, we run. It's what we do. It's who we are as fallen people. But when we are in Christ, we have him pursuing us and calling us to more and saying, come on, I know you're failing, but I'm with you. I got you. I will not let you go. You know, we often run from Christ not because we are weary, but because we don't have the maturity to remain. We don't have the faith to trust that he is calling us to more. The hard part about going outside with Jesus, like we talk about all the time from Hebrews 13, is that it isn't just about us doing something uncomfortable. It's about us staying with Jesus. Do you catch the difference? I can go do something uncomfortable all on my own. But it's when I do something uncomfortable because I'm staying with Jesus and walking with him and allowing him to lead my life that we're really getting somewhere. That's going to be really annoying. I think the batteries are dying. We might have to change the mic out or the whole rest of the sermon just... Let's try it before we go on. Hey, look at this. That was like the smoothest mic transition in Christ community history. <laughs> Followed by the worst stage transition in all of Christ community history. Look at it. We even got baby food splattered on the stage. This is, this is great. This is awesome. I'm like way more excited about this now than I was before because this is just how things go. Jesus is messy. All right. Call your, call your lunch people and tell them you're going to be like 10 minutes late. All right. This is... This is, this is where we're at. This is good. Hebrews 5. I believe with all my heart that this is a passage that Christ uh, wants to implant into the hearts of us as a church. Because we are on the precipice of, of just joining him in this great vision and mission that he has for our church. We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, 
for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. What does that mean? What does that mean for us? We're all runners. We all want to get away from Christ, right? Like Because it's uncomfortable. It calls us to sacrifice. It calls us to obedience. It calls us to change things in our lives that we're comfortable with, that we don't want to give up. All those things are true. I thought about like actually having people eat these things. I was like, that's going to go bad, right? <laughs> so this is 60, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of milk, right? And that thing of milk has 64 grams of protein in it. Protein helps your muscles grow. Protein gives you strength. Protein sticks with you, right? All the things. You can pick other things. We're going with protein today, all right? When you drink milk, especially as a baby, right, milk is just given to you. Like, it's, it's a byproduct of someone else or something else, right? If you're a human, there's a time where you drink some human milk. And, uh, if, like, as you go, like, cows produce, like, this is a byproduct of, of other things. And it's really sweaty and it's probably going to be, like, bloated up because it's been sitting not in the fridge. But that's 64 grams of protein, right? So um, then, right, when you're... When you're growing up, you move to baby food, some kind of processed food, and it would only take 16 of these. I even picked the ones that had the most protein, so we don't have, like, banana up here. We got, like, chicken and rice and turkey and beef stew a la mode, you know, like the nasty ones. You would only have to eat 16 of these, and um, now we're going to have to find another one because some of it's on the stage. But just 16 of these things to equal the same amount of protein as you would in this milk, Right? Now, this is a beautiful New York strip steak. Anybody want to guess how much? It's not from bluegrass beef, but sorry. 64 grams of protein. Here's what happens in real life, and then here's what happens in our spiritual lives, right? In our real life, there's seasons for all of these things, and we enjoy well, I don't know about baby food, but like, we still enjoy milk, right? But what we really want is this steak. We really want this steak, unless you're a vegetarian, and then I'm sorry, I pray for you every day. <laughs> Just kidding. A little. But what happens is we get lazy, right? We get lazy. It's a whole lot easier to go to the fridge at 10 o'clock and get a glass of milk and feel a little better for the next couple hours than it is to, like, get out a steak. Like, that's why it's not prepared today, right? Like, it's a whole lot easier to just put this stuff on the stage than it is to, you know, like, cook it and season it and cook it well. And so we give up on the steak. We give up on the steak, even though it's the most satisfying. Even though it's the thing that's really going to, to help us move forward, right? And, and so spiritually, this, is, this happens to us all the time, right? If you think about a baby... Uh, I know, like every three hours, they want some more of this. And they cry until they get some more of this. But when you eat a steak, you leave, you're like, man, I'm full. I'm full. And I'm able, I'm able to keep going. 
I'm able to join Jesus. I'm able to remain with him. I'm able to stick with him. And that happens in our spiritual lives too, right? For some of us, the way that we consume God and his word is just like, well, I hope that one of my friends posts a really great Bible verse on my Facebook page today. I hope that there was something that moved them that they would share that is, you know, just going to satisfy me for the next couple hours. And then we forget. We need some more. We need some more. Right? Or maybe it's like, well, I'm just, I'll at least commit to church, and I'm going to hear the sermon every week where we're like, I learn more about a specific passage, and I think about how it applies to my life. So you hear me, like, this is great. My sermons are like baby food. <laughs> right? But how many of us take time to begin to figure out how I want to prepare a steak and to dig into his word and to really hear from God about what it means to follow him? That's what sticks with you, right? When the God of the universe speaks to you, when it's his word direct to you, man, that's when it sticks with you and you're like, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is the God who loves me and pursues me and wants something more for my life than what I want for myself. And as long as we continue to hang out here with these things like Jesus loves everyone and, and like those are all true, right? Like Jesus died and Jesus lives, like those are all true. But as long as we continue to stay there, we are living every day of our lives asking ourselves, am I going to remain or am I going to run? Am I going to remain? Am I going to run? And scripture says that that makes us like boats tossed around by the waves of the sea. Wherever we end up is wherever we end up. We remain by hearing from God. And the only way that you get to a point where you can walk with people is to get to a point where you're eating spiritual steak. And you only do that when you're doing it together with the body of Christ. We have to be learning from one another, right? Like, just because I eat a steak doesn't mean that I don't occasionally, like, feed off of a sermon. I might go to the banana flavor, but... So as I think about the fact that Christ is pursuing me and you and all the rest of us, despite the fact that he knows that we're trying to get away from him, it inspires me, and I hope it inspires you, to take some steps. And I want to talk quickly about what those steps look like. There's three kinds of steps. First steps, ongoing steps, and next steps. First step. The first step is, is the same for everyone. It's to come to the point where you realize that your nature, by default, is to run from Christ. And it's to stand in front of the God of the universe and say, I am messed up, I am running from you, and I need you to call me back. Save me. And then to tell your church family that you did that through the act of baptism. That's your first step. Maybe that's the step that some of you need to take today. The other option is ongoing steps. Ongoing steps. I'm going to try to do this really fast, but I'm a little geeky and I like this stuff. There's this huge research survey done, right? Huge. And in that, they determined the eight outputs of a mature Christian. In other words, if you are a mature follower of Christ, these are things that are going to be happening in your life. Number one, biblical engagement. Like, you're going to to be in your Bible. Number two, you're going to be obeying God and denying yourself. Number three, serving God and others. Number four, you're going to be sharing Christ. You're going to be sharing Christ with your family, your friends, maybe those you don't know. 
Number five, you're going to be exercising faith. There's going to be things that you are doing in your life that you don't have all the answers to, but you are pursuing them. You are stepping out in faith because you believe that God is real, He loves you, and He has something more for you. Number six, you're seeking God. When you face hard things in life, when you're not sure what to do next, you're going to God first. He is the one that you are pursuing. Number seven, you're building relationships because you understand that you can't separate Christ and the church, and the church together is the bride of Christ, and you need those relationships so you build them into your life. And number eight, transparency. You quit walking around like you've got it all figured out, and you are able in community to say, I'm running from Christ right now, and I need to be called back. I need to be together with the family of believers so that I can seek God and share Christ and exercise my faith. That was quick. Those are the eight outputs of a mature Christian. Now, here's the crazy thing. There's lots of ways. Like, you look at that and you're like, man, how do I make all those things happen in my life? It it could look different for everybody. Like, what do we do to, like, make those things happen? I can't just, like, I'm not good enough. I'm running from Christ. I'm not good enough to just make all those things happen. So these really smart people who are doing all this research use this really cool idea called regression analysis. And regression analysis gets me really excited. Because regression analysis looks at these things and they ask what the causes were and then they go backwards through the data and they say, what are the things, like, what are the most common things, the, the inputs that lead to these outputs? And when they did that, it was amazing. They found four things that lead to those eight outputs. And you're going to be wowed by them, right? Number one, reading the Bible. Notice it doesn't say studying the Bible. Notice it doesn't say writing a doctoral thesis on the meaning of Mark 8, 42. I hope that's a verse. I just made that up on the spot. Right? Just reading the Bible. Just reading the Bible. So, uh, side note, down at the bottom, this is a Bible reading plan that you can join me on this week. We're going to read through the book of Mark and engage with it. There's like a little discussion thing in the Bible app. You can do that. Go to my Facebook. The link's there too. Right? Reading the Bible. Number two, worship services. Sunday mornings, being here in this place with your church family is all about the decision to do it. One of my favorite tweets on Twitter that I retweet very often, Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. And let me say this. When we gather together on Sunday mornings, it's not about what you will get out of Sunday morning. It's about what will come out of you as a result of Sunday morning. There's times I don't want to be here, right? There's times that, that I, I feel like there's nothing for me. And I'm, I'm leading this thing. But it's about what comes out of us when we're together as the body of Christ. Number three, small classes or groups. Small classes or groups. These are a ministry of the people, not for the people. These are places where you minister to one another. They're messy. Everyone looks different. And there's no, like, silver bullet for how to put them together or how to do that. But you need to be gathering with a, a small group of people, whatever that looks like. Kenny, our associate pastor, is, is hopefully helping us to just continue to do that in, in ways that are healthy. Number four, serving God and serving others. Two quick opportunities, right? Just being honest, we need more help with preschool. Elementary's covered. We need more help with preschool. It's a way to serve God by implanting the seeds of the gospel in those young hearts for the first time, showing them God loves them. And then serving others, our Love Shelbyville days on the fourth Sunday are just a starting point, a way to connect you to those things. 
So notice we say that those are ongoing steps, right? We talk about next steps all the time, and I think a lot of times we get ongoing steps mixed up with next steps. Because we will always struggle to take next steps if we aren't taking ongoing steps. It's like that moment that you've been sitting on your couch all day Saturday watching whatever it is you watch, games, movies, and you're like, I really need to get up and feed myself. But the couch just feels so good. Right? It's hard. Like you're not just going to magically take next steps and end up in Indonesia. The reason that Phil ended up in Indonesia was because he was taking ongoing steps in his life. He was reading the Bible. He was coming to church. He was engaging in a small group. Like, you're not just going to magically one day do something really huge for God. You could. He's limitless. Don't let me put him in a box. But the likelihood is that you're going to be taking these ongoing steps, and then he's going to show you your great and marvelous next steps as you take those ongoing steps. What are next steps? Quickly. Three different kinds. One is to discover something. God, what should I believe? God, help me take a next step in my belief about you. I have faith in you, and I want to understand that faith. Faith seeking understanding. Discovery is all about deciding where you will place your faith. It's saying that I believe that God is true. I believe that his word is inspired. And because of that, I want to discover something new about him. The next step is, the second one is to deepen. God, what do I need to learn? Deepening is about understanding your faith and its implications so you can actually help others. Our equipped classes that we're starting are exactly this kind of next step. And third is to deploy. God, where do I need to go to serve? And when I get there, who do I need to serve? Deploying is all about action. It's all about movement. Taking next steps is about discovering, deepening, and deploying. But those next steps are always, always fueled by the ongoing steps. And so you're deceiving yourself. You're continuing to drink a whole bunch of milk if you think that you don't have to take ongoing steps and then God's just going to magically, out of the air, call you to something huge and great and marvelous. It can happen. But the Lord is faithful and he continues to work in this way over time and time and time and time again. It's not legalistic. It's just simply recognizing that God has a pattern of working in our lives. All right. Let's close this thing down because it's been way too long. How different would Shelbyville be if the 200 or so adults who gather in this room started eating their spiritual steak? How different would Shelbyville be if the 15 or so families that are coming to the equip class for finance got out of debt and started leveraging their wealth for God's kingdom, started funding adoption, started funding new ministries, started funding new churches that called in new people to Christ, that, that helped others to see that Christ loved them? How different would Shelbyville be if 200 adults read the gospel of Mark this week and, and, and then did something about it, right? Like heard from God that this is what I want you to do, and then they went and did it. How different would Shelbyville be if, if 200 adults moved from just consuming the basics of the gospel to learning how to teach it and began to share it with 200 people in their life? You see, sometimes we, sometimes we make God a little too mysterious. <laughs> I don't mean that to take away the glamour from God, but, but to say, like, he has shown us 
He has been so gracious to us to just give us his word and say, man, come eat some steak. I have more for you than what you could ever ask or imagine if you would, man, just take some time and put this steak on the grill and cook it up and take a big old bite of what I have for you. Knowing that that means you're going to have to give some things up, like your time, to do it. How different would your home be if each person in your home was taking ongoing steps to remain with Christ? How would your parenting change? How would your marriage change? If you began to center your life around those ongoing steps, Christ is pursuing you. You're weak. You're exhausted. You're defensive right now as I say these things. You're attacking. I don't know. You're running. And yet here you are, for whatever reason, sitting in an old Kroger with metal folding chairs thinking about Jesus. Why? It's not a mistake. It's because he's chasing after you. He won't let you go. Despite the fact that you want to run away, despite the fact that you want to get out of whatever it is he's calling you to, he is pursuing you. He won't let you go. He loves you too much. Give your life to him. Give up. Stand in front of him. Confess. And say, okay, God, I give. You win. You are the king of my life. Let's pray. Father, we ask and pray that you would move in our hearts and minds that you would continue to call us some more don't leave us alone God we're so thankful for the truth of the gospel that you chase us pursue us that you keep calling us in just like you called the disciples in even as they were trying to get away from you in the garden of Gethsemane I pray God that in this place today that that we would make decisions in our head and our heart and with our actions to say, we have decided to remain with you. We don't have to run anymore because we've given our lives to you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.